Minding your own business, helping businesses overcome problems and improve performance with Graham Knight and Richard Forkan. So podcast six, this is the killer podcast, sales. That's obviously the lifeblood of every business. On our previous podcast, we talked about marketing, which I always like to imagine as the top end of a funnel where you're putting in all the inquiries yeah. and hopefully they'll work their way through that marketing machine and spit out as a lead, which as every salesman knows, is what he lives on. So once you get that lead, what what do you do with it and how do you measure it and what does it mean for the business? Yeah, I, I belonged to BNI for a while when I first started off and they always had this saying, what's at the end of a lead? And he said, well, it's a dog. dog. <laughs> <laughs> it's BNI so, where you, you, come in, you can't come in unless you've got a lead to give well, someone else. It was, yeah, but, but, needs a but, kitchen but there's nothing wrong with BNI. I, yeah. I, I was a member for 18 months and it did me a lot of good. So, um, but I, I've never forgotten the term. So it's, it's always the questionable, how good is a lead, isn't it? And when, yeah. when marketing come in with a lead, so the first thing you have to do is qualify it. Oh, really, qualifying a lead, that's a, yeah. that's a classic, isn't it? Yeah, and then the more robust that qualification, the more you can be sure that you're not wasting your time pitching to that client or um, preparing a quote or engaging because all time is money, as we know. So, so. You're, are you a qualifying in or a qualifying out, man? Qualifying in. Okay. Oh, well, I suppose qualifying out achieves the same thing because if you're not out, you're in. I've, I've, <laughs> when you work in a corporate, you, you have sales guys who so desperately want the lead to be real that they'll find every reason to qualify it in. Yeah. And it so I, I towards, towards the end of my career in that sort of market, I, I ended up deliberately trying to qualify out a lead, like sh- tell me why it's not a real lead, and then I'll concentrate on working on why it, or how we can overcome those problems. Don't tell me all the reasons why they're going to want to buy, because no, I can see the easy stuff. I, I think it's whether you're a cup half four or a cup half empty person. <laughs> <laughs> if I was a salesperson, I'd be wanting this lead to work. So uh, rather than okay. start if there's in why should I get off my butt and start doing something? Yeah. I was, I, the holy grail from a lead then is conversion isn't it so once you've qualified it and you convert it to a sale you're, you're after how you get from that you know engage with the client take them through a process qualify it get to the point where they want to actually give you their money and buy your service or your product yeah that's a journey i know it's a corny word but that's often a journey so you need to understand what information you need at the beginning what of a brief do you need before you can go back with a sensible proposition um, do you qualify what their budget is? Do you qualify, in some cases, like with architects I'm working, what value house they're living in, You know how much they're prepared to spend on this uh, conversion? Because if, if someone's at the wrong end of the market, then that's probably not the lead that you're looking for. You're looking for something that's further up the food chain. So all these things can, can help you convert the sort of business that you're looking for to grow the business. My, my favourite old-school piece of terminology that has lived with me throughout my career is that it's two ears one mouth yep a lot of bit like if you, you ask my mum for instance what a good salesman looks like she'll probably tell you it's somebody who's got the gift of the gap yeah, and, yeah. and actually it's it's not it's the complete opposite it's somebody who's got two really big ears and a very small mouth and can ask some open questions and get the data and the information from a potential client well i think that's why sometimes salespeople aren't held in high regard is because <laughs> people fear people with a gift of the gap that they're going to be persuaded to buy something they didn't really want and therefore they weren't interested in listening to your problem they really wanted to sell you the product and they're walking well, away that, with the that's deal. interesting isn't it because if, if you go into b2c or business to consumer that that's the opportunistic sale isn't it so yeah. you know the 
the, the footfall sale, walking past the phone shop and you see the big, bright, shiny new iPhone 13 and you wander in and someone grabs you and their remit is to not let you out of that shop until they've signed you up for a, a new one. And that's where salesmen get their their reputation from in the general public is, you know, you're going to sell me a phone or, or a set of windows or a car or yeah. something I don't want and then I'm going to go home and have to tell my wife right. what an idiot I've well, been. I've just spent, yeah. But, but in, in business, it's much more about consultative selling, isn't it? Or, or just consulting, basically. You know, take the word sales out of it. Go and sit in front of that client or get, or get them on the phone or get them to come to you and, and just sit there and listen to their problem, listen to the issue they've got and work out if you've actually got a proposition that will help them yeah. in their situation. And, and by help them, I mean make their problem go away or make their business more profitable or whatever. And almost like a doctor, you know, you tell me the symptoms and I'll tell you whether I've got a prescription for you. And that, and that consulting sale is, is what members of the public wouldn't see, but that's how it should be done in a business environment is to... You know, it's, it's to sit with somebody and understand what, what, what the problems are and then help them get past them. Yeah, I, I, I think that's true. I mean, clearly, it, it, it's about engagement and people buy from people. And, and sometimes um, with businesses, I've heard people say, well, I'm not a salesperson. And, and you sort of say, well, you, you don't really need to be a salesperson. You're not yeah. trying to persuade someone to buy something against their will. Absolutely. All you have to do is sell the product, because sometimes with some of my clients, the products sell themselves. Yeah. And you just got to be yourself because people buy from people. Yeah. So at the end of the day, if they shouldn't need any persuasion to buy something they don't want. I mean, the only downside of that is that sometimes you, you do have salespeople who forget to ask for the order. Yeah. So they come back <laughs> Close, from a meeting closing, yeah. and they say, I had a great meeting yeah, today. Loved me. Absolutely yeah, loved, loved me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When did, did you ask did you get the order? No. I know, I <laughs> and, and, and surprisingly, a lot of those occasions, the order doesn't come. Yeah. Um, because you know you do have to ask for the order that that is one of the things about selling and yeah. uh, that's the difficult bit that for some reason people don't seem to want to do they, they seem to find that bit the bit they'd rather somebody else did which is interesting because some of the conversations I have with, with clients is is that they need a new salesperson and the first question I ask is okay so do you, what do you mean by a salesperson and they tell you what they think they mean I said, well, but are you want, do you want a sales maker or do you want an order taker? Yeah. And they think for a minute and think, mm, actually, actually, maybe I just need an order taker yeah. rather than a sales maker. Because if you're an account manager for a geographic area or a sector, yeah. basically the, the phone's going to ring and, and every day you're just getting business because people have come to you. Yeah, yeah. That's completely different to a sales maker who's more proactive yeah. Doing the research, walking the streets, finding the target market, getting in front of people. Yeah. That both of those are completely different people for which you pay completely different remuneration. Absolutely. So, so you need to be clear what you're looking for. I've always found there's two, two well, obvious point really, but there's two different types of salespeople as well, isn't there? There's, there's your new business salesman who tends to be much more proactive and happy to go out pitching to cold in inverted commas uh, leads doing that consultative piece with a potential new client and understanding the problem and shaping a solution and then there's the traditionally what's called account managers who are looking after existing businesses existing clients and farming rather than going out there and hunting new business and those two animals are sort of quite different in that if you're farming an existing client you really need to be their source of advice really or their their advisor sitting on their shoulder helping them come to decisions about what they need to be doing and how they need to be doing it and not being anywhere near as I hesitate to use the word aggressive, but a new, new business salesman in terms of asking for business that needs to be a little bit more forthright with what they're doing. Yeah. It's important to understand the two differences, isn't it? And then 
we were talking about with existing clients the the white space approach of understanding client a that we've had for 10 years only buys two of our offerings and we've got six of them why aren't they buying the other, the other four, four. Yeah. and working out okay could they buy the other four you know have, have they actually got the need for those and if they haven't fair enough but if they have where are they getting it from can i get that piece of business as well and and working on expanding your 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 footprint in a client and, and building it over time. And the more contact you have with the client, the more relationship build you'll have and the more longevity you'll get. Which brings us back to what we were talking about in a previous podcast about not being obsessed with new business at the expense of losing existing business. Well, or the opportunity just, rather yeah, than losing. Yeah. Absolutely, <clears throat> which, which we do see a lot of the time where people are so front-facing and so hell-bent on dragging in new clients, they let existing clients walk out the back door because they're not happy doesn't seem to be so sexy somehow just just milking you know <coughs> you, or, or um exploiting your base doesn't seem to have the same excitement as hunting for new new businesses in quite the same way yeah which i've never understood because if you go into an existing business there's two opportunities there's either to sell more services like you say yeah. or it is to extend your penetration because if you yeah. work for a large corporate Sometimes they're organised geographically or by yeah. sector. And because you're working with this part of the organisation, yeah. there may be six or seven equivalents. Yeah. And that person could introduce you to the, their equivalents and the other organisations. So you could get potentially six or seven more clients yeah. just through that engaging more with that one particular point of contact. Who's already friendly if you're providing a good service or a good product and can act as your internal champion. I mean, when, when you approach the other people you can say well fred said uh, i should call to you because i've already been supplying him for the last two years and, yeah. and that is a recommendation in itself really within the same organization it's, it's important to keep adding value with existing clients as well isn't it so to, to be could continue to keep demonstrating and why. not take them for granted absolutely yeah, yeah so that might be it doesn't necessarily mean you know lowering prices but it might be doing something over and above on a regular basis that perhaps isn't something that they thought was included or helping them out with advice and, and drawing their attention to issues that might be something they weren't looking at in the marketplace and generally being felt of, of as, as an integral part of their business. Mm -hmm. And I, I think the worst examples of um, where that doesn't happen B2C is where you've got um, things like telephone companies and insurers and stuff that will constantly offer deals to new customers whilst ignoring existing customers well i think that's just been outlawed in the ins insurance business isn't it i think uh, i don't know i don't think they're allowed to offer new new yeah, customers terms, yeah. yeah to but for years you get your insurance renewal through and it'll say it's gone up against price price and then you'll see on tv a wonderful offer from the same supplier with uh, new customers only at the bottom of you well, well I'm, I'm the loyal customer why why am i getting abused the other thing that's worth monitoring in a business is reasons for winning and losing isn't it so it's it's easy to sort of celebrate a win and slap yourself on the back but you need to pay attention to why you've lost sales as well don't you and understand from a well, client well actually why you win as well i i, I uh, sometimes i'm a bit surprised if i go to a client and say oh we won so and so job i say oh good why did why, why, why did you win they said Oh, I don't know. I don't, we didn't like to ask them that. We thought they might change their mind. <laughs> like, like, you know, why did you choose us? Oh, God, did we choose the wrong one then? No, no, it's nothing to do with that. It's just that we like to know what we did better than everybody else. Because if you do something better that, that brought a customer on board, maybe you should consider that more in your sales process because that's the bit that seems to be the bit that differentiates you. 
Well, so, and that, that comes back to qualification as well, because I'm, I'm yeah. simplifying it here. But if you if you take the time to qualify a lead properly, you'll probably hear a client either say or 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 let you know in some some way that money's either very very important to them and is the be all and end all, or it might not be. And if you know that the price isn't the driver for a purchase, then you know you haven't got to be the cheapest in the in the game. You you know you've got to have the highest quality or whatever else that you've worked through in the qualification process to identify what they're looking for. And so many times you, I hear people who say, well, we were the cheapest and we still didn't win it. Said, well, they weren't looking for the cheapest, were yeah. they? They were looking yeah. for something else, but you didn't take the time to understand what it, what it was back they wanted. Back to listening, isn't it? It is, two ears, one mouth. But also, as you point out, um, losing as well. Clearly, if if you lose on price, then you shouldn't just accept losing on price. I mean, yeah. sometimes people are very specific, like, well, you, you, weren't, uh, you went for the cheapest. Yeah. Sometimes that might have been within your reach if you were better engaged with a client so that you knew that when it went quiet, which is never a good sign, that, that they were talking to somebody else, then that might have been the time to have picked up the phone rather than just just st- stuck with it and say, hey, we haven't heard of you for a while, how's it going, you know, anything we can do, yep. maybe you would have been still in, in the discussion, but you yep. didn't show any interest to make that call, yep. and, and, the, and the business has now been placed somewhere else. Yeah, absolutely. In, in the B2C market, I, I like the example of um, somewhere like Tesco's, where you've got two propositions in, in one brand there, so they'll have a, a big out-of-town superstore, if you like, where they know that the person going there is looking for, for probably cheapest with a, with a minimum acceptable standard of quality. But they'll also have a Tesco local, which will probably be in the centre of a town somewhere, where they know the buyer in there is looking for convenience. And subsequently, they'll charge more because they know they can, mm. because the two, two buyers are quite different and they understand that. And then they adjust themselves to suit. So it, I, I suppose the same thing applies to motorway services and, and, and train stations where you go into Smith's and they want to charge you, you know, two pound for a Mars bar that you can get in in, in Sainsbury's for eighty p, but they know you're standing there with a the train about to leave, and you really yeah. want a Mars bar, and they've got you over a barrel, yeah. and they'll take the two quid off you. But it's it's again understanding the market, isn't it? And they've worked out what will press your buttons at that moment, and then applied that to the proposition they're giving you. But maybe they're rent higher at a train station because because that's that reason yeah. they can charge yeah. higher prices. But the other thing about price, though, is that sometimes clients will say that they were deemed to be too expensive yeah and and they never really drill down on what yeah. that really means compared to what exactly yeah, and, exactly. and what i say to them is no no if you were too expensive that's because you didn't sell your value yeah absolutely yeah because they've just compared something with, with something else but they're not yeah. comparing apples with apples they're comparing yeah. apples with pears so yeah compared to this apple you seem really expensive that's because there's something about your service that is makes it more expensive that the other person maybe didn't include yeah and maybe they buy something on the face of it's cheaper but then yeah. they're going to pay extra for this and extra for this and extra for this and that would have brought the price up yeah. more equitable with what you were proposing but you didn't make that clear enough yeah so um, all these things are there really to analyze to try and improve your chances of success the, the other thing you sort of touched on there is is upselling where you can get involved with a, a client and a sale and then move up from what the original sale was, either by going in after it with additional sales or even where you've got a value proposition that, that really hits home, you can perhaps change somebody's mind about what they think they wanted to buy yeah. and by opening their eyes to what they could have if they spent a little bit more yeah. and, and, and upsell in that way. And again, but it, ta- it takes a, 
salesperson with with some awareness of of what they're doing and the ability to listen and the ability to spot an opportunity to be able to take the data that's going on around them and and switch them into a a proposition and and build up from it but there's lots of lots of opportunities here about disappearing down the road because somebody hasn't been watching or somebody hasn't been paying attention or not listening or but, but bundling can be another way of doing that. Bundling, I mean, yeah, you, know, you, you can add another service in which doesn't cost you a great deal of money, yeah. but it's actually quite valuable yeah. to, the, um, to the client. And, and if that means you don't have to increase your price because it, the cost of sale is pretty small, yeah. then that can add a lot of value to somebody else for not much to bring the, you know, the more profitable fish in. Yeah. So, so that's another area where if you sell, well, people do a three for two and all that, so I think that's obvious. But, but even in business, you can add things to a proposition, which on the face of it gives the client some extra value without applying a great deal of extra cost to you to Definitely. deliver. So all, all these things help you prop, well, break your proposition that much more attractive. Yeah. Because the more you make it attractive, then the more likely your conversion rate is going to increase. It needs you to understand what it is you've got, why it appeals to your target market, who your target market is, how to present it to them, and then finally how to listen to them properly to understand what their issues are, to be able to map what you've got onto their issue to get them to buy it. But, but that's what you sit down with the marketing department and make sure that they've got all that messaging yeah. on board yeah. in the way they take that proposition to market. So the likelihood is the quality of the leads will be that much better because they're very precise about what it is they're looking for. Yeah, That's an interesting point, actually. The feedback loop you should have from your frontline salespeople back into marketing. You know what, what sort of reception is our marketing getting, and and what what feedback are you getting, so we can adjust our marketing. But again, it's you know very difficult sometimes to see that working in a business. Well, we we, we often joke about this. Marketing department will blame sales because they're not conversing, <laughs> yeah. and the sales will blame marketing of the quality of the leads. Absolutely. Yeah, which is why in large corporates you see sales and marketing managers. That's it. So you can't so, blame so yourself you, for that. So one. you can't blame yourself. <laughs> To get all the episodes of Minding Your Own Business automatically on your favorite podcast app, just click follow or subscribe.